This episode is brought to you by BattleBards, premier tabletop audio for your campaigns. Use the coupon codes GMJ1, 2, or 3 to get free bonus tracks with your first order at BattleBards.com. Starwalker Studios presents Game Master's Journey, your multidimensional RPG podcast. Hello, listener. Welcome, fellow GM and or player to episode 105 of Game Master's Journey, your multidimensional RPG podcast. Now, this is normally the part of the show where I would tell you that I'm transmitting this message from the Obsidian Monolith somewhere outside time and space. However, I am not <laughs> transmitting this from the Obsidian Monolith today. I want to apologize. It's been a while since the last episode and that was not planned but what's happened is I just moved and we'd been planning to move but we were planning to move in a month or two and an opportunity came up that we just had to take you know how it is you got to take those opportunities when they arise so we found ourselves moving kind of at the drop of a hat with no notice so I had to pack up the studio and move. And I'm still in the process of unpacking the studio. Um, I'm going to have to get a different computer. So it's taking a while to get everything set up today. So it's taking a while to get everything set up again. So today I'm actually recording using my portable setup. So if it doesn't quite sound like the regular episode, I apologize for that, but uh, hopefully it won't sound too bad. But I didn't want to go too long without putting out an episode. I didn't want people to think I'd pod faded or something. So I am back for episode 105. And so this is going to be a world building episode. So this is going to be a bit of an experimental episode. I want to try something a little different with the world building episodes. So up to this point, you know, I try to write out the world building episodes just like I write out regular episodes of the show and really give a lot of thought ahead of time to what I'm going to talk about and what I'm going to cover. And um, because of that, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time to plan the episode and to write it out. And I've found since I've started doing the world building episodes that they are nowhere near keeping up with what I'm actually coming up with for Primordia. And when I originally conceived of the world building episodes, what I really wanted to do was kind of bring you along with me on the journey of creating Primordia and have you right there with me as I'm creating stuff to kind of see the process and and hopefully through your participation, through your feedback, actually be involved somewhat in that process to more or less degree, depending on how much feedback you give me. But it hasn't been working out that way because I can't keep up on the podcast with the world building. So by the time I talk about something on the podcast, it's probably an idea I came up with months ago. And the main reason for that is just the the time it takes to produce the episodes. I'm just behind. 
And I was writing in my notebook. I, I have a notebook for Primordia, and it, it's actually a a moleskin notebook. It's a nice, <laughs> overly priced uh, notebook with a grid paper, a graph paper. And I bought this just for Primordia, thinking, you know, whenever I'm going to write something about Primordia, you know, this is the book I'll, I'll keep those notes in. And uh, even went so far as making a table of contents and, and trying to organize it. So it, it can kind of be my tome of Primordia that I can reference. And I'm, I've got like 60 pages <laughs> written in this thing, most of which I've never talked about on the show, most of which I haven't talked about anywhere. And there's actually two reasons for that. And the first reason I've already told you, which is that I just can't keep up because of the production time of making podcast episodes. The other reason is fear of spoilers. <laughs> fear of spoilers for my players who, who might be playing in Primordia campaigns. But the thing is, is I'm not running any Primordia campaigns right now. I'm running Curse of Strahd. I really don't have time to run more than one RPG campaign right now. Unfortunately, I, I wish I had the time and the energy and the brain power to, to do more campaigns at the same time. But I don't, at least not right now. And and Curse of Strahd is, you know, we're going to be doing that for a while. So it's going to be a while before I run anything in Primordia. So I probably shouldn't be too worried about spoiling it for potential players. So all of this was kind of churning around in my head. And I'm looking at this notebook full of stuff. I also have a OneNote um, on Microsoft OneNote full of stuff on Primordia. I've got various Word documents full of stuff on Primordia. There, there's a lot already, and there's so much that I haven't shared with you. So I decided, you know, I'm not going to worry about any of that. I'm going to start sharing whatever I'm excited to talk about Primordia. I'm not going to worry about spoiling it for my players. I'm not going to worry about spoiling it for future iterations of Primordia that I may or may not publish in the future. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm, I'm going to focus more on building a world for myself for my players and taking you along with me on the journey in the hopes that maybe it will help you build your own world. If maybe you're a new GM or you're just a GM who's never world built before and you've always run in published settings and you're thinking about taking the plunge and, and giving it a go, maybe it will be helpful to see someone else go through it and, and kind of see my thought processes and see the ideas I come up with and how I put them together and all that. Maybe that will be inspirational to you just to show you that it can be done. Maybe it will be instructional to you to show how it can be done. And maybe you'll get some cool ideas. You know, maybe you'll like some of my ideas that I come up with and you'll be like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to take that idea and put my own spin on it and, and do something with that for my world. So that's kind of the hope. And also that this world of Primordia can be kind of a common ground that we, uh, me as producer and host of Game Master's Journey and you as a listener of Game Master's Journey can all have in common to use as examples and discussions and just to have a common ground and, and a common playground or sandbox that, that we're all familiar with. And when people do participate, you know, there can be, you know, your influence on the world of Primordia, which could be pretty cool too, I think. 
so basically, you know, I'm going to try to free myself more to talk about whatever I want to talk about. I'm not going to worry about spoilers. And I'm also going to worry less about how structured and uh, written or prepared the episodes are and do these world building episodes a little bit more off the cuff. So a really simple way to organize these episodes and to proceed with this is to just start going through this notebook I have and start going through stuff I have in the OneNote and things that I haven't mentioned on the show or haven't talked about on the show, talk about them. And, you know, my hope here, my idea here is not just to say, here's all the stuff I came up with for my world, but to go into kind of what my thought process is and what's going on in my mind and how I'm fitting the different ideas together. Because, you know, coming up with ideas isn't that hard. You know, there's a saying, uh, ideas are cheap. You know, a lot of people think, like, for instance, if you want to write a novel, the the hard part is, is coming up with, with a good idea for a good novel, right? You know, a lot of people think that that's the hard part of being a writer, and it's not. That's the easy part. And And I've heard so many authors talk about how people will come up to them and pitch ideas for books. Like, hey, you should write a book about this, or you should write a book about that. And the author's response is usually something along the lines of, no, you should write that book. That's your idea. I've got my own ideas. I've got more ideas than I will ever have time to write about. The last thing I want to do is write about your idea. Because, you know, to write a good book, you got to be excited about the idea. And you're always going to be more excited about your your own idea than some stranger's idea. So, you know, that's that's a true thing that I've found. You know, ideas are relatively easy to come up with. I I think where some of the magic really happens, though, is how you put those ideas together, how you fit these various kind of disparate ideas that you've had into something bigger, into something that brings them all together. And sometimes when you do that, it's really obvious and it's like, oh, these ideas fit together. They just are meant to be together. But Sometimes the most interesting things happen when you put two ideas together that don't obviously fit together or even seem like it would be impossible to fit them together, but you find a way to make it work. And that can be really cool. And that's a technique in writing known as uh, something along the lines of combining the familiar with the strange. So you take like, say, two Uh, familiar elements that that routinely go together and then you take a third thing that doesn't fit and you find a way to work that out and that can make an interesting story. So that's what I'm going to do and since I'm pretty much analog today, well not really, I'm I'm using a digital recorder but I don't have a computer, I don't have uh, my copious electronic documents about Primordia available, I guess I could get into OneNote on my phone But what I'm going to do instead is I do have my notebook here. So I'm just going to start at the beginning and I'm going to talk about what's in the notebook. And when we have enough for an episode, I'll wrap it up and then next time we'll get back into it. So let's see, what have we got first in the Primordia notebook here? All right. So I see the first thing I have in my Primordia notebook actually is a little bit about Hades, my god of death. And 
I can tell you the reason I have quite a bit on Hades, the God of Death here is because I had a player in my Primordia campaign, Steve, who was playing a cleric of Hades. And that campaign is currently on hiatus. I'm really, really hoping and wanting to return to that campaign after Curse of Strahd. I am hoping to be able to get the original players back with with their original characters because I had some really cool things planned for for all of those characters, really. And um, but we're talking about Steve's character, who is a a cleric of Hades, a cleric of of the, the death domain. And definitely had some cool things planned for him. And there are some things happening with the gods in Primordia or some ideas I have. And having a cleric PC was was the perfect way to bring the players into that and, and have them be involved with that. So, of course, I had to think about the god of death because that's the god that, that the player's character worshipped. So let's see what I've got here on Hades. And I'll tell you right now, my least favorite thing about Hades, my god of death, is the name. I really want original names, ultimately, for all my gods. But uh, I just haven't been able to find or come up with a good death god name. And, you know, I've talked a little bit on the show about kind of my naming conventions for Primordia, which which basically I'm staying away from... Uh, things in fantasy that really annoy me when it comes to names, which are names with apostrophes and hyphens (laughs) and names that are spelled really oddly, you know, like you take the name John. There's a lot of ways you can spell the the name John. There's a lot of ways. Well, not a lot of ways, but there's a few ways that the word or the name John is spelled, right? It could be J-O-N. It could be J-O-H-N. But if we're writing, uh, if we're writing a fantasy novel, we we can't spell it J O N or J O H N. It, it's got to like have some apostrophes and and some asterisks or or use letters that, that are silent or or whatever. Like it's J H A H O N or but somehow that's John, and I hate that shit because as a reader, it's really confusing and you don't know how to pronounce these words. And there's nothing more annoying to me, at least, than to be talking with a group of people about a novel that we all like, and we're all pronouncing words different ways, and we can't agree on on how words are pronounced. And and that's one thing I loved about uh, what Robert Jordan did with The Wheel of Time, is not only did he put a glossary in the back of his books, but he put pronunciations in the back of his books. So for the first time, well, at least before Game of Thrones, when it was on TV, for the first time, you could have a fantasy novel and be and be confident <laughs> that you were pronouncing the names correctly and that your friend was actually pronouncing them incorrectly because you had a pronunciation. Now, Game of Thrones, you know, we, we hope that the people on TV are, are the actors are saying the names correctly. So, you know, now with with shows like that, we know how to say the names. But before that, you know, fantasy, your guess was as good as mine, how you pronounce half these names. So I don't want that in Primordia. You know, I want, when you see the name of a god in Primordia, it's obvious how that name is pronounced. So, and I, I just find it pretentious, honestly. I, I think it's people trying to be clever. Um, and my goal is not to be clever, at least not to be clever, just to be clever. If being clever serves a purpose, then that's great. But being clever just to be clever is just 
uh, what mental masturbation, I guess, is one thing you could call it. <laughs> so, for instance, my God, Ion, I spell I-O-N because that's how you spell Ion because Ion is a real word. <laughs> so there shouldn't be anyone out there who sees the name of that God and is confused about how to spell Ion, right? Because there's a real pronunciation for that word that, that anybody should know. But you'll still have problems. For instance, there's a word eon. <laughs> for instance, in uh, Numenera, you have the eon priesthood. and But they spell it A-E-O-N, which is an alternate kind of older spelling of the word eon. It's still a real word. You'd still, if you really wanted to know how to say eon, you could type in to Google, you know, pronounce eon and you can get a little audio that will tell you how to pronounce it but people don't do that or or people don't care because i hear far more people referring to the aeon (laughs) priesthood than the eon priesthood so just because it's a real word if it's an obscure word or an obscure spelling of a word you still might have people mispronouncing it or pronouncing it differently but that's okay. <laughs> but at least you tried, right? At least you're not throwing in a bunch of apostrophes and letters that don't make sense. And, and having vowel sounds make different sounds in different words, which I know is something in English. And English is a terrible language to learn because, you know, you can't just learn like Spanish. You learn rules for how the different letters sound and, and you're good to go. And you can see a word you've never seen before and you know how to pronounce it. You even know how to accent it because Spanish has rules and it, it follows those rules. English isn't like that. You know, there are so many words that you need someone to tell you how to pronounce it. You can't just figure it out, sounding it out because different letters have different sounds in different words because we've taken words from different languages, just whole cloth, you know, or, or we make some changes, but we don't fully make it fit into you know how english does things i don't even know if there is a way that english does things it's so it's such a hodgepodge now but anyway (laughs) wow tangents abound see this is why i edit so hades my god of death needs a better name so i started out with some some possible titles for hades uh things that people might call hades and, you know, I've, from the beginning, I've been kicking around this idea of my gods having aspects. But I think this was actually before I had the idea of each aspect actually having a name. Now, I, I originally thought, well, I could have them have actually different names. So Hades, you know, this group could call Hades Hades, and that group could call Hades Thanatos, and that group could call Hades Hell. And that would be very, uh, you know, would would mirror what we've seen through history very well and and would be realistic in that way and it would be kind of cool but it wouldn't be very user-friendly it'd be pretty confusing for the for the players if every god had 20 different names you know um we'd be right back to where we are with forgotten realms where there's just way too many gods and and no one can keep track of them all which is you know why i only have nine gods because i don't want to be in that mess so giving each god multiple names it it basically puts me right back where i started where i was trying to get away from so obviously i don't want to do that so i came upon this idea of well 
you know, what if the gods had different monikers or, or different titles that they were known by? And those actually, at least sometimes, represented different aspects. So Hades, you know, Hades is known as God of Death, Reaper of Souls, Shepherd of the Dead, Lord of the Grave, He Who Laughs Last. So those are just a few that, that I just came up with for Hades. So some of those could just be different things that, that people call Hades, but some of those could be actual aspects. So the one I really like, He Who Laughs he who laughs last, it's hard to say, but it's a cool idea. That sounds like an actual aspect for me, to me. Like I, I haven't completely, you know, fleshed this out, but I imagine a culture somewhere where they call Hades, he who laughs, he, I can't say it, he who laughs last because that's how they see death. Like death always gets the final word. Death always gets the last laugh. Death always gets to deliver that last punchline. And, you know, just running with that, you can kind of build a philosophy that sees death and sees life through that lens. And and you can imagine what their God of death would be like. Now, if you went to this culture and you started talking about Hades, like they know that's his name, Hades. And, and the other idea about the gods not having multiple names is, you know, there's this idea that, that names have power. And I'm, you know, one of my thoughts on Primordia, kind of one of the high level things is it's all about magic. My mantra for Primordia is always magic, magic, magic. That's what I say to my, when I'm thinking about Primordia and, and I'm looking for inspiration, I always remind myself, magic, magic, magic. It's all about magic, which means I, I want to have different kinds of magic and, and any kind of magic that's popular or well-known, I want to have represented. And name magic is, you know, very widespread idea, right? This idea of, of a true name and names having power and whatnot. And it's even in, core D&D, you know, if you read about demons and whatnot in the monster manual, it'll talk about true names and, and how if a wizard has a demon's true name, he has power over him and things like that. So I imagine the gods are similar and, and maybe the gods are where, you know, the naming magic comes from. You know, one idea, you know, I'm not a fan of it because it's a little too steeped in Christian mysticism for my taste, but, but one idea is, is the idea of the gods naming things. You know, they, they're not just creating the things, but they're naming them. They're giving them their purpose kind of in the platonic, as in Plato, not friendly, <laughs> in, in the platonic sense of, you know, things having an ideal purpose or form, and, and that form would have a name, and that name has power. So because of that, I thought, you know, I don't think my gods would be cool with people giving them new names and calling them things other than their names because Hades is Hades. Hades doesn't want you to call him Bill. Hades isn't Bill. Hades is Hades. But they have these titles, right? Like you're watching Game of Thrones. Anytime Daenerys comes in the room, we got to listen to all her titles. And every time she's got more titles, it's the same thing with the gods. Every time a new group starts following a god, there's a good chance that god's going to end up with a new title because, you know, humans like 
putting their own spins on things. They, they like, um, you know, you, you can't just take someone else's religion, you know, like, uh, the most famous example, everybody knows the Romans, you know, they didn't just take the Greek gods and use them, right? They Romanized them. Aphrodite became Venus, you know, and not just her name changed, but some of her attributes changed so that she was more Roman and less Greek. So the same kind of thing. If a new group starts following Hades, they might come up with a new title for him. And if there's enough people in that group and, and they believe strongly enough and, and they worship fervently enough, that new title might actually become associated with an actual aspect, which in some ways it's kind of its own deity in that each aspect has a, a alignment or maybe a range of alignments or a culture or a personality, um, a way that it it's commonly seen, you know, if Hades, he who last laughs appears to you, he may have a different form than if Hades, Lord of the grave appears to you. Okay. So that, to put it in kind of a real world context, you know, if Hades, and I don't want to offend anyone, I'm just trying to make an example here, but, but, and I'm going to be mixing, mashing cultures, but, but let's say Hades was the real God in the real world. And, uh, well, Hades aspect that's worshiped in Japan when he appears will probably appear in Japanese garb, right? Versus the Hades aspect who appears in, I don't know, Ireland, (laughs) right? It's going to look different. It's going to look like what an Irish person would expect their God to look like. So, so that kind of idea. And, and I still have the idea that each individual may actually see the God uh, slightly differently too. So I have these titles for, for Hades, God of Death. And, you know, ultimately one day I want to have this for every God. I want to have a list of titles. And some of those titles are associated with specific aspects that are associated with specific cultures or places or time periods or whatever. But again, you know, when world building, we create what we need as we need it. So right now I needed it for Hades. I didn't need it for the other eight gods. So I don't have it for all nine gods yet, but I've got, I've got this beginning of it for Hades. I have here, Hades is the most mysterious of the gods. And that's saying something. And, and this is important too, because one of my core uh, philosophies about my gods is is that they're mysterious and people don't understand them i I don't like the gods being like known quantities that that people think they can figure out and in a world of very mysterious mysterious deities hades is the most mysterious there is a great variety in the beliefs teachings and practices of the followers of hades hades does not approve of those who cheat death for this reason, his followers and clerics will destroy intelligent undead like liches and vi- vampires on sight because they've cheated death. They've cheated Hades. They don't so much mind the mindless undead like skeletons and zombies as these are just shells. There's, there's no real spirit there. There's no consciousness there. It's just, it's almost like a, like a golem. It's just an animated construct. In fact, many clerics of Hades utilize these undead as servants. And this right here, this um, 
aspect of Hades, I, I shouldn't use that word aspect, this quality of Hades, this attribute of Hades that, you know, how he looks at undead and, or, or I guess maybe a better way to say it is how his followers tend to look at undead because who knows what Hades himself thinks, right? Uh, we're just guessing here. <laughs> well, I guess I know, but I'm not going to tell. <laughs> um, this came about because of Steve. So, so this is a perfect example of how your players can influence your world and your world building because Steve wanted to play a cleric of Hades, which I was super excited about. I was like, oh, cool. I was first of all excited that, that Steve wanted to play a cleric, which I've, I've already talked quite a bit on the show about how people don't tend to want to play clerics and uh, how I'm going to fix that in Primordia, hopefully. And, and I'll be talking more about that in the future. So I was excited to, that Steve was playing a cleric. I was also excited that he was playing specifically a cleric of Hades because I thought that was really cool and, and not an obvious choice. You know, um, not something I, I think you would see a lot of players doing. And I thought it would be really fun to explore. But Steve didn't want to play an evil character, which I was also excited about because I, you know, tend to not like to have evil characters in my groups unless everybody's going to be evil. And in that case, um, probably going to be a fairly short campaign. So I, I was super excited. And, and so, you know, I talked a little bit with Steve about, you know, because I told him, I'm like, you know, these guys have different aspects. So tell me kind of how you picture the ideal God of, of death for this character. And then, you know, there's probably an aspect that will fit that. And if not, I'll just come up with one. And it's basically uh, invent your God kind of thing. And this is something I'll, I'll talk more about in uh, a future episode where I talk about fixing the cleric because uh, listener Craig Edwards had had a very similar idea that, that he pitched to me that I really like, uh, which, and I'll talk more about it in that episode, but in a nutshell, you know, let your player invent a deity you know if you have a player that wants to play a cleric let them come up with their own god if they want to you know because one of the things i think that holds people back from playing clerics sometimes is there's not a god that they like or they're too worried about loss of agency because of of following a god so if the player can basically define that god themselves then they can feel like they have more agency because they came up with the God or if the, the player has a concept of the kind of character they want to play and the kind of God they want to worship. Well, maybe that doesn't exist in, in that setting. Well, they can create one. I thought that was a great idea that Craig had. And I'd kind of already had that idea in a similar but different form with Primordia with the aspects because I thought about, you know, way back here with, with Steve making his, his death cleric, that I could do that with aspects. I, I could say, you know, someday in the future when I, I have more information and I have these write-ups on all the gods and a character or a player says, I want to play cleric, I could say, or a paladin, I could say, okay, here's the gods. Here are some of their aspects and, and some short, you know, descriptions of, of what those aspects are like. You can choose one of these or 
if none of these are, are exactly what you're looking for, you can choose a God and create a new aspect for your character and make that exactly what you want it to be. Of course, with some, some feedback from me, I mean, be a cooperative process. Then once we, we get that aspect fleshed out, then I, as the, the GM and the world builder, I decide, is this a, perhaps it could be an aspect that just this particular character worships a new aspect or maybe a, an old aspect that's been forgotten. And I actually have an idea for a campaign and, and this might be one of the, the adventures that, that I produce to publish where basically all of the player characters are, are in that situation. They're all worshiping an aspect of a God that they themselves have come up with. And these are new aspects that have ever either never been conceived of or worshiped before, or maybe they were worshiped long ago, but they no longer are. And I have a whole story arc about why all these PCs are these new aspects and, and what comes out of that. And it's super cool. And uh, if anybody pays attention to the Primordia subreddit and you saw the thread on there, about the campaign idea I had and I was asking if the character creation guidelines were too restrictive and it was where everybody had this kind of divine tie. This is the campaign I was talking about. And if this isn't the next campaign I run in Primordia, it will be the one after that because I'm, I'm super excited about it. But anyway, so, so that's one, one possibility is, is the player could, could create their own aspect. And, and then they get exactly what they want. So that's kind of what, what we did here with Steve was, was Steve wanted to worship the God of death. He wanted to be a cleric of death. He didn't want to be evil though. He didn't want his character to be evil. And you know, the death domain in DMG is presented as usually being for evil characters. But Steve made the argument that he didn't think that a, a cleric of the God of death had to be evil and he didn't think that the god of death had to be evil necessarily and i agree and i agreed and so i basically you know a lot of this steve came up with these were steve's ideas so the, this idea of hades being okay with things like zombies and skeletons because they're mindless and they're basically just constructs but he has a problem with things like liches and vampires because they're intelligent and especially in the case of liches, they've chosen that. You know, usually a, a wizard chooses to become a lich specifically to cheat death. And that's what bothers Hades. And vampires don't necessarily choose to become vampires, but they do create other vampires. So they're choosing to cheat death on behalf of other people, which also Hades doesn't like. And I, I guess from a certain point of view, if you think about it, it's like the vampires might be worse because, you know, the lich is just maybe one person cheating death, but the vampire could be scores of people cheating death, depending how many vampires that vampire makes. So I thought that was a really cool idea. So that became part of this aspect. And Steve, actually, his character came from a, a very different part of Primordia and um, we, we didn't go into a lot of detail on it. I, I think Steve had some kind of vague ideas of the place he came from, but I don't think it was super fleshed out. But I, I was definitely hoping, and I'm still hoping uh, to 
do something with that that part of the world in the future. And um, I really hope Steve can come back. And Steve, if you're listening, I miss you, man. Can't wait to game with you again. Uh, but Steve is a new dad. So of course, you know, he has more important things than gaming to worry about right now. But uh, I would love in the future, you know, when, when Steve has a time uh, to get him back in, in the Primordia campaign. And if he ever wanted to detail this land that his character came from, that would be super cool. But my impression from him was it was kind of a um, kind of like Arabic or Middle Eastern kind of culture, it sounded like. And so, you know, he had some ideas of this culture that he came from and and kind of how they looked at death. Um, some of it also kind of reminded me of of some Egyptian beliefs from, from ancient Egypt. You know, Steve and I kind of went back and forth in conversations about um, whether he could create undead because that is a, a, an ability that you get with the do- death domain is to animate dead whether he could and whether he would and and whether he should. And, you know, Steve was completely ready to just uh, not use that ability and just say, oh, well, it wouldn't be in character for me to create undead because Hades doesn't like that. But then together we, we came up with this philosophy of, you know, he doesn't mind the mindless undead, you know, partly so that Steve could actually use this kind of fundamental ability that his character would get. So I was like, yeah, you know, you can create undead all you want as long as they're of the mindless type, you know, and, and the, the other thing was kind of, he wouldn't, he wouldn't keep the same undead for very long, you know? So instead of animating someone as a zombie and keeping them around for forever, you know, he would animate someone as a zombie, use them for a while, and then animate another zombie to replace them. You know, so they're only in service for a little bit, and then they, you know, their body decomposes. Because I think that's part of death, too. It's not just, you know, this this idea we have of physical versus spiritual, which, you know, who knows if there's really any reality to that anyway. Um, you know, death isn't just about the what we would call the spiritual side of it. It's also the physical part, you know, the worms, the maggots, the grave, the decomposing of the body and returning to the elements of, of the earth. And like, that's part of death too. So I think, you know, the, the skeletons and zombies are less offensive because they're not people willfully cheating death, but it's still somewhat offensive because, well, they're not decomposing like they should. They're not returning to the earth like they should. So even, you know, even with this philosophy of Hades, Hades wouldn't want a skeleton that's a skeleton forever and ever, right? Eventually that skeleton needs to rot and nature needs to take its course. Or I guess a skeleton has already rotted. It needs to, uh, what do you call it when bone deteriorates over time? I don't know. There's a word. I can't remember it. Hades priests teach that death is a natural part of life and can even at times relieve suffering. Priests of Hades know ways to ease and cause the passage of the of those with illness or injuries they can't or don't want to live with. So <laughs> this part of Hades is is basically his priests being like the Dr. Kevorkians. I think that's who it was. I, I hope I'm making the right reference there totally off the top of my head, um, of 
primordia, which which is to say, you know, if you needed a, an assisted suicide, the priests of Hades will help you out. And kind of the public facing uh, facade of this, the PR, uh, you know, the the uh, press release <laughs> that's given is to relieve suffering. Like if, you know, if if you're dying from like a gut wound or something and you're going to die in three days and you don't want to go through three days of agony to get to the inevitable, you know, a, a priest of Hades can give you a potion and you just fall asleep and die. But they'll also help out anyone that just wants to die. Because, you know, if you've had enough of life, Hades is more than happy to take you. He'll find something for you to do. Priests and followers of Hades perform funeral rites for the lost and forgotten. So the idea here is, and I think this is actually later in the book, so we'll probably talk about it in more detail at some point, is I I gave, I don't know why I do this. I gave a lot of thought to what happens to souls in my world, like what happens to people when they die. And this all comes from, I think it was third edition. When I first read about uh, Forgotten Realms and how this works in Forgotten Realms, where they have the fugue plane, where, you know, when you die, your, your spirit goes to the fugue plane and you wander there until one of the gods comes to pick you up. And eventually, I think, Kelimvor will come to get you or something. I honestly, I don't know how much of this I ripped off from that and how much of it is my own because it's been so long since I read that stuff. I, I don't really even know, you know, how much of what I remember is actually stuff from Forgotten Realms that I read and how much is stuff from other places or, or my own ideas. But I gave a lot of thought to it um, and, and kind of worked out for myself how this all works. And so the basic idea, and again, I'm sure I'll go into this more in a later episode, is that for, you know, my world is truly polytheistic, unlike most D&D worlds where people worship multiple deities and, and the idea of having a patron deity isn't an, a concept that most people would relate to. You know, most people don't have what we would call a patron deity in D&D. Most people honor a variety of deities. So when you die, it's a little more complicated. But in a nutshell, if there was a particular deity that you venerated or gave offerings to more than the others consistently through your life, then that deity would claim you when you died. Eventually, Hades claims everybody that that is unclaimed. So if you're someone that just didn't honor the deities at all, for whatever reason, then you'd end up with Hades if a demon or a devil doesn't get you first. And, and Hades isn't in a big hurry to get those people, those people that didn't honor the gods at all. Because Hades' servants that, that go to my version of the fugue plane to get souls have a list and it's prioritized. So if you're someone, for instance, let's say you're, you're the average person that just venerates all the gods that are relevant to you. So, so maybe you're a farmer. So you venerate the gods of, you know, like Primordia, the goddess of nature. You venerate, uh, uh, I'm blanking on the names of my gods. Here, I got them right here in my notebook. Uh, Kordos. Uh, the god of storms and the destructive side of nature. You wouldn't so much venerate Kordos as a farmer, but you would make offerings to Kordos 
to uh, appease him so that he decides not to, you know, send a flood to destroy your crops or whatever. Um, so you'd make offerings to Primordia, the goddess of nature, for a bountiful harvest and good planting and all that stuff. You'd make offerings to Cordos to keep the storms away and the bad weather and the droughts and all that stuff. Um, let's see. You might also give offerings to Eon, the god of light, because, you know, sunlight's really important for crops to grow. And looking through the gods here, those are probably the main ones, right, that you give offerings to as a farmer. You might also give offerings to Hades, uh, not so much maybe for yourself, although probably everyone does that at certain times. I, I kind of picture that there are certain milestones in your life where there are certain ceremonies or holidays or whatever where where you give offerings to Hades to like, like coming of age would be one. You know, I'm, I'm coming of age, I'm becoming a man. And part of my coming of age ceremony is I give an offering to Hades to say, thank you for my life up to this point and please don't come take me yet. <laughs> and then there would be other milestones in your life. And maybe they would be based on age, but I think in this kind of setting, it would be more appropriate that they're based on actual milestones in your life, like events. So another one might be when you get married. Another one might be when you have a child, um, when you have a grandchild, things like that. So when these milestones happen, you give offerings to Hades to say, thank you for all the experiences I've had in my life up to this point. And uh, I appreciate that. And I'm going to butter your bread so that hopefully I'll be around at the next milestone to make another offering to you. It's kind of the idea. So the, so the, the, our farmer... Uh, example here is giving offerings to Eon, it's giving offerings to Primordia, giving offerings to Kordos, and giving offerings to Hades. You notice only one of these is uh, not an original name. That's why I got to change Hades. But anyway, so he's he's honoring all four of these gods, but he's not honoring any one of them significantly more than the other. He's not... A, a deeply religious person that, that's really gotten into one particular deity and that deity's teachings. He, he's just doing what good farmers do, right? So when he dies, he would be on Hades' list. He wouldn't be on any of the, the other deities' lists because he didn't favor that deity over the others. There's no reason for that deity to pick him. The reason that he's on Hades' list is because, well, everybody's on Hades' list. It's just how high up on the list are you? He would be fairly high up because he did honor Hades and he did honor the God. So maybe, um, I guess I, I picked, I guess everybody would honor Hades. I, I can't think of someone that wouldn't honor Hades, at least at certain times in their life. Uh, but so a person that honored Hades would take priority over someone who did not a person who honored the gods in general or honored certain gods, but didn't honor Hades specifically would take precedence over someone who, didn't honor the gods at all and and so on. So so there's this list of priorities. So when Hades' servants are in this plane looking for souls to take to Hades' realm, you know, they take them in this order of priority. So the lower you are on that list, 
the longer you wander this plane before one of Hades' servants comes to get you, and the more likely it becomes that someone else or something else comes to get you. And possibilities there include, but are not limited to, demons, devils, fae, and things from outside the universe like Cthulhu type stuff are things that can come get you if uh, you're there too long before someone else more uh, nice gets a hold of you. All right, so going back to the other page. So yes, the priests and followers of Hades perform funeral rites for the lost and forgotten. So, so basically the people that there's no one to perform rites for, the uh, priesthood of Hades uh, takes that on. Uh, probably not surprisingly, most executioners are followers of Hades. Civilized peoples cremate their dead so they don't rise again. And this is a thing in Primordia. Most of the civilizations or cultures in Primordia cremate their dead. They don't bury um, because I just think that's the way in, in a world where undead were a real thing. And, and it was widely known that undead were a real thing. People would burn their dead. Just like in Game of Thrones, right? Got to burn those dead. Only ignorant barbarians are so stupid as to bury their dead. Now, this is written, I should say, um, I'm not always explicit about it, but, but whenever I'm writing in this book, I'm kind of writing from a point of view of someone in the world. And usually the default assumption is I'm writing from the point of view of someone in a laundria. So that is what someone in a laundria would say. That's obviously uh, not racist, cult culturalist. <laughs> I don't know what the word is. Ethnocentric. There we go. It's definitely ethnocentric way to think or say it, you know, to say only, you know, the ignorant barbarians are stupid enough to bury their dead. Um, I'm sure the quote ignorant barbarians have very good reasons that they bury their dead. Um, that, that would be fun to explore. Hades home plane is called oblivion. And uh, I'm still deciding whether the planes in my world are going to be planes like they normally are in D&D or if they're going to be planets. Because I, I already had this idea of associating my gods with different planets, just like uh, the gods in our world were or are. Um, and then I thought, well, it might be fun to take that one step further. And instead of saying that there are different planes, those planes are actually planets. Um, and I guess it wouldn't really matter because the player characters would never know unless they flew really high on a plane and realized it was curved. And then maybe they might make the leap and say, oh, maybe we're on a different planet and we're not really on a different plane. And, and what is really the difference between a planet and a plane? I mean, for all we know, they're the same thing anyway. Um, but I haven't decided if I'm going to go that route or what. I, I kind of go back and forth on that, whether I think it'd be cooler. I think the planet thing is kind of cool, but I feel like it, it gets a little bit too much into the sci-fi. And I've thought a lot about whether to bring sci-fi into it because I was very tempted to make Primordia kind of like the ninth world of Numenera where there's ancient technology laying around, but it's just seen as magic. But again, I keep returning to my mantra, magic, magic, magic. You know, it's not magic technology magic. It's magic, magic, magic. So I, I don't want to do that. I want to keep it like high fantasy 
and I'm afraid that the planet thing gets a little bit too much into the sci-fi thing. And then you're going to have people wanting things like spell jamming ships to go from planet to planet. Because my idea was that if I did the planets, I'd do it kind of like they do in Pathfinder where there's portals. Like you can get from one planet to another by taking a portal or by using a spell like like a planar traveling magic. Um, you don't build ships to go there because it's just not going to happen. Um, and because I think Spelljammer is really, really dumb. I'm sorry, I do. I, I think Spelljammer is really dumb. <laughs> I can't get into it. Um, okay, so don't know about that. So those that don't serve a particular god go to Hades when they die. I already mentioned that. So I also thought a little bit about, um, and, and this is something I definitely need to flesh out more with all the gods, but you know, um, I really want to draw on my anthropology background and really flesh out these gods as far as you know their customs, uh, the customs and, and culture of, of people that, that honor the gods and, and especially people who are part of that god's mystery cult which the people that are part of the mystery cult are the people that are actually like, I am for this God. This is my patron deity. I am all about this God. And the idea is, I mean, you do this for a reason. Nobody does anything for free. There is no altruism in the world. Anthropologists have been looking for it everywhere. Haven't found it yet. There's no such thing as altruism. Anything anyone does, there is a personal benefit that they get from it. Even even the selfless acts of kindness, you get a good feeling from it, right? <laughs> Would you do it if you didn't get that good feeling of satisfaction and a job well done? No way to know, is there? Um, <laughs> anyway, where was I? Oh, so the reason people join these mystery cults isn't altruism. It's because it's believed that if you really uh, devote yourself to a, a God whole hog, there are benefits that you will gain. And, and those who are achieve the higher mysteries of the mystery cults do have powers and do perform miracles and things like that. So, you know, I want to do more with this with all the gods want to flesh out, but I, I did come up with a, a few ideas. So one holy day of Hades would be the day of the dead, which would be the, uh, what would it be? The, Autumn equinox, I, I believe that would be, and uh, and and just like uh, you know, here on Earth, I want to associate my holidays with uh, uh, astronomical events, um, like uh, all the good pagan holidays were. So uh, the Day of the Dead, which would be the autumn equinox, is when the dead are remembered and honored. Uh, people believe it is easier to contact the dead at this time. Prayers and offerings are given to Hades on behalf of dead loved ones. And those of you that know of uh, other cultures or religions know that um, this isn't anything I came up with. I'm completely stealing this. <laughs> this is a real holiday. Uh, also, the winter solstice, and uh, I should be specific here, winter solstice of the red sun. Because remember, Primordia has two suns, a red sun and a blue sun. Uh, also called the long night. It is the longest night of the year when Hades is considered to be his most powerful and the goddess of life and the god of light are at their least powerful. And again, the uh, I believe the goddess of life and the god of light are the two sons. 
So there you go. It makes sense, right? Again, we have our mythology paralleling astronomical events. So when the sun is in uh, winter solstice, which is the longest night of the year when the sun is, is its weakest from kind of a primitive point of view or a non-scientific point of view, maybe that'd be a better way to say it. Um, I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to offend any non-technological people that might be listening to this, although I'm not sure how they'd be <laughs> listening to it. But anyway, a non-scientific point of view, um, you know, so it it parallels, right? So the, the sun is weakest on the winter solstice because that's the shortest day of the year. So that the God of that associated with that sun, that is also weak at that time. And, and that's how uh, religions worked back in the day when religions made more sense. All right. So some possible worshipers of Hades would include people like executioners. Obviously, if, if you're killing people for a living, you, you probably uh, have some kind of understanding with the God of Hades. Soldiers, the dying, the sick, the maimed, the old. Again, people who, you know, if you're at a, a position in your life for whatever reason where you start to see death as a release, Hades is your man, right? Whether that's because you're you're terminally ill or you're being tortured or you're slowly starving to death or whatever, you know, you can get to a point where you're suffering so much that death would, you welcome it. And uh, those people are very special to Hades. Uh, those fascinated with and or terrified by death. I'm thinking of the kid from What About Bob? <laughs> that could be all about Hades. Uh, murderers and sociopaths, of course. So Dexter would be a follower of Hades, I think. I, I think that's, I, I don't think that, that'd be a hard case to sell there. The Church of Hades will accept many who are rejected by everyone else. It is seen as a last but viable resort for one with nowhere else to turn. So, you know, if for whatever reason you've burned all bridges and no one will take you in, no one will help you out, the Church of Hades will. Of course, there's a price, right? Remember, there's no altruism. There's always a price. Uh, colors, you know, eventually I'll have colors associated with all the deities. And again, this will change by aspect and cultures, right? You know, Hades worshipped on the other side of the world. They have totally different colors. So some possible colors for Hades, black, gray, blood red, maroon, brown. And again, um, it's basically coming from ideas of darkness and blood. So, you know, blood is, is red when it first comes out, but then when it dries, it, it looks brown or black, depending on what it's dried on and how long it's been there. Uh, so I thought those would be good colors for Hades. If I go with the, you know, the planes are planes and I, I use just the generic D&D planes, then obviously Hades would live on the plane of Hades. So there we go. Um, I didn't realize it when I started this because, again, I'm just going by the seat of my pants here, going through my notebook. Um, but this first episode was all about Hades. So I guess I have a title for this episode, Hades, God of Death. Or perhaps I should say Hades, he who laughs last, because that's the best one I came up with, I think. 
And uh, so just to give you an idea here, we just covered pages one and two <laughs> of my notebook. I also talked a little bit about page three. And I currently have 60 pages written. And this is just my analog handwritten notebook. I also have my OneNote notebook, which has way more stuff and various Word documents and forum posts and whatnot. And, you know, I'm working on, on getting everything compiled together into one place. But it's a big job. So, yeah. So, so let me know what you think about this format. You know, not so much the unplug thing. This is just an, an assist and necessity because of the move. Um, you know, I, I would love to not edit episodes just because it would, it would vastly reduce the production time. But I'm honestly, I'm just not a good enough speaker. I don't think you want to listen to me unedited. I really don't. You, you have no idea how many ums and uhs and how many times I repeat my, you think I, I get complaints from people that say I repeat myself and I know I do. You have no idea how much I really repeat myself until you hear an unedited <laughs> version of an episode. So if we ever get to the Patreon milestone where I do all the episodes live on YouTube and you watch those, then you'll know uh, because those people watching it live will get to see the raw, unedited uh, production in all its glory. Which, speaking of Patreon, I want to give a quick shout out to my tier six patron, Mr. Steve Strickland. Let's hear it for Steve. Yeah. Yes. Hopefully I can uh, get the studio up so I can, I can have more people cheering for Steve than just me. Because <laughs> that was pretty sad. But uh, I feel a little self-conscious cheering all by myself. People already think I'm crazy enough. But... Uh, <laughs> Thank you so much, Steve, for your support. Thank you to all the patrons. Definitely check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Studios and uh, consider supporting the show. Um, I'd love to do more stuff like this. I would love to do more episodes, more content. Um, but it takes time and time is money, friend. <laughs> so I appreciate those who support the show and those who do and become patrons get various perks and bonuses for me. I, I try to make that stuff as valuable as I can. Uh, a couple things that I do is a monthly podcast that I do just for the patrons. And I have a folder that I share with the patrons where I put game material and stuff that I come up with. And I think now that I'm taking this, this different uh, tact with the world building episodes and I'm not going to worry about spoilers so much and I'm going through my notebook and whatnot, probably going to have even more Primordia stuff uh, uploaded for the patrons because I'm just going to start throwing stuff up there and, and not worry so much about it because I've already started revising stuff that I came up with in the early days and, and I know me and I know the writing and world building process. So things are going to go through many revisions and iterations so, yeah, even if I need to worry about spoiling things, which I probably don't, I don't think I will because it's going to change anyway. And those of you that have been listening to the world building episodes since the very first one know that th there's already been at least a few like major changes and course corrections up to this point. And I'm sure there'll be more in the future. 
If you would like to give me feedback on this episode, on Primordia, on anything, you can reach me, GameMastersJourney at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Lex Starwalker. You can follow me on Google Plus, plus Lex Starwalker. I'm on Facebook. Look for Starwalker Studios. I'm on Reddit. I got a Primordia subreddit at slash Primordia. What is it? Reddit.com slash r slash Primordia. I think it's how it works. So uh, I'm kind of everywhere. Oh, also uh, Pinterest. I'm on Pinterest. And I've only recently started... Well, I used to use Pinterest a lot in the Numenera days when I was running Numenera. But uh, I started using it a lot again, and I'm collecting images for Primordia. So if you go to the Google Plus community for Game Master's Journey, which you can find a link to that in the show notes at starwalkerstudios.com, join the Google Plus community for Game Master's Journey. Please do. But if you go there, uh, there's a section in the community with links, and it depends if you're on desktop or mobile, where that is, but you can find it. And uh, among those links are links to some of my boards on Pinterest that are gaming related. So I have one for Numenera that is just a bunch of weird art that uh, I found inspirational for Numenera. And uh, you can just take some of those images and build an adventure around them super easy. And then I've got boards for Primordia, including a just kind of generic Primordia board, uh, one of dragons and one of fairies, because fairies are going to be huge in Primordia. So you can check those out if you'd like uh, lots of uh, fantasy art. And, and if you do Pinterest, follow me on Pinterest. And uh, I think you can share pins or something. So so if you see art and you're like, oh, this would be cool for Primordia and you could share it with me on Pinterest or something, that would be cool. Um, because yeah, when I when I need inspiration, you know, on Pinterest I've I've got just butt tons, hopefully, of images that I can look at and come up with ideas. And uh, you know, if if I ever get to the point where I can afford to publish a real bona fide book on Primordia and I could afford to have like real art, you know, I can, I can go find these artists and say, Hey, can you do a piece for me? Cause I really like this thing you did and it looks great for my fairy queen that I need, uh, in my book. <laughs> That'd be awesome. That'd be so awesome. All right. Well, I am going to sign off and see if I can figure out a way to get this put together and and get it up. So again, you may be hearing this in a very raw form. And if that's the case, I may, time permitting, sometime in the future, I may reproduce the episode like the regular episode so I don't always have this bootleg (laughs) episode. Uh, But for now, it will be what it is. Or if I can't figure it out, it'll just be a while before it gets up in the stream. But uh, I wanted to I wanted to get this started today, and uh, let me see what what would be next. Let's see what's next in the notebook for next time. Let's see uh, next uh, gods of Primordia. I, I might go through that real quick. It's just a list of of each of the gods and and what they're about. I think I've covered that already. I don't know. Let me know <laughs> if I've covered that. I can't remember. Just some general thoughts about the gods. Uh, Then we have some thoughts on alignment, which I'm pretty sure I covered all that in my alignment episode. 
I then have a, a list of monsters by CR. I don't know why I did that. Yeah, we don't need to talk about that. Let's see. Adventure ideas. I could maybe talk about that. This is just a list of random ideas I had for adventures, but I probably don't want to talk about that because that would be spoiling uh, adventures I will probably run in the future. Ah, here we go. Slarg, Orc Demon Lord. Yeah, we'll talk about that like next week. I'll, I'll tell you about Slarg, the Orc Demon Lord. So until then, I hope you have a chance to play your RPG of choice. I'll be back soon with another episode of Game Master's Journey. Until then, game on. This has been a Starwalker Studios production. Your source for quality gaming and hobby podcasts. This episode's music provided by Cloudwalker, Renfield, Stanko, Transboy, and Ish. Please see the show notes for more details at starwalkerstudios.com slash Game Master's Journey.